Good morning. I had to push that music stand down. Micah's taller than me, and so I couldn't see people over here. <laughs> uh, uh, today is the last Sunday that we're doing a sermon series, like talking through the book of the Song of Solomon. And I actually, in all sincerity, I am so glad this is the last Sunday that I'm preaching on this book. We skipped a lot of this book because it would make me blush to read parts of it out loud. And so I do encourage you uh, to read it. It's quick read, eight chapters. Take a look at it. Get a sense of what it's about. And, and if you were here the very first Sunday of the month when we kicked off this sermon series, um, I talked a little bit about the different ways that people approach this book because it is interesting. It kind of stands out as unique among the crowd and the books of the Scripture. And people don't always know quite what to do with it. And so there's many ways to look at it. Like, and I'm just, this is the refresher course. Some people, when they approach this book, they just take it very literally. It's, it's a sort of a love ballad of sorts between a man and a woman and their passion and love for one another. And this is true. It is. And then others, because the context and the content of this book, um, is, it really, it just, it's just like we take an intermission in the middle of things that seem to make sense to talk about this relationship between this man and the woman. And so when you get to the book of Song of Solomon after you're reading about all these kings and these wars and all these other things that are going on, it's like, what is this? And, and so a lot of people, not knowing what to do with it, how to handle it, they, they, they read it figuratively or symbolically. It represents something else. It points to something different. And of course, I said, you know, the way we tend to approach the Song of Solomon is we say it's both literal and figurative, meaning it, it is actually about a man and a woman and their love for one another and what that looks like and the dynamic between them. But also, it does point to something bigger because all of Scripture points to something bigger. Everything in the Bible eventually is trying to get us to Christ and Christ alone. And so these texts, these, these stories, they are, they're always pointing to the future that we have in Christ. And, 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 and so there is a lot of, of sort of illusion and sort of suggestive language that points us to Jesus. And so what we're going to read today is a section of the scripture that really personifies love in a way that points us to Christ. And this is in Song of Solomon chapter 8, verses 6 through 7. And so this is near the end of the book And if you want to read along in your own Bible or app, you can. It's going to be on the screens as well, but I'm going to read it for you. And just hear these words, and as I read these words, understand that, yes, this is a conversation between a man and a woman, but hear these words now as something between you and Christ, okay? And you'll understand a little bit more here in a moment what I'm talking about. So it begins, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. So it's just a real small section, but a lot of commentaries and a lot of people, when they talk about this section, they say this is the most, what we call, Christocentric part of this Bible, the the part of this book that really points us the most clearly to the work of Christ and what he does. And I want to work backwards through this text that I just read to sort of explain and unpack some of the ways that people understand this to be true. 
And I'm going to start with this last verse right here. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. And and really all it's saying is like, if you're going to offer everything that you own, your house, your home, the contents of your home, everything in your bank accounts and drain it, um, if you're going to, to do that, if you think that that's more valuable than love, then you would be despised because love is infinitely valuable. It's more valuable than all the possessions and things that you could gather together for yourself and accumulate. And I think we know this somewhat intuitively, like we know love is more valuable than a lot of things. But just think about this. If a man's willing to give up his home, the wealth of his home, um, you know, for love, then he's going to be despised. Like if it's in place of love, then it doesn't work well. And, and this, I think, speaks very clearly in this Austin area. I mean, think about how expensive homes are, right? Um, They've gone up so much in price. And I was reflecting on this, like when my wife and I first moved here about seven years ago, um, and we were looking at houses in the neighborhood, houses were um, half a million dollars um, seven years ago. And when we were looking at these houses, uh, we were like, whoo, You know, we just had a second child and we didn't have enough equity and we thought, man, um, that seems really valuable, doesn't it? And so we ended up deciding to build a house in Buda because it was more cost effective. <laughs> and so we, we started this building and, and we knew that when they finished building, we could move in. We didn't have to get in a, a bidding war with anyone and it was just ours. And so we lived in these apartments and, and we finally, we moved into this, this house with... Um, a newborn, like a child and a toddler, and, 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 and it's peaceful, right? But here's the thing, like we've only lived there seven years now, and guess what we just discovered? Uh, the foundation of our house failed. <laughs> Literally, the backside of our house sunk four inches. And so for the past three weeks, we've been dealing with this mess. Um, this is the front yard of my house. And it actually looks better than, than it really was. Um, you know, they're, they're digging these tunnels under our house, put 32 piers in to level it out. And so they're digging under our house all these tunnels to kind of fix the problem. They pulled out all of our landscaping. And then, of course, the cold front hits, and so I'm sure it's going to live. Um, and they have all this stuff in our yard, and there's these holes around our house, all around our house. And it's really interesting, um, if you've ever gone through this, um, it takes three weeks, business days, 15 business days, and it's weird to sit in your living room and hear someone underneath you when you don't have a basement, uh, <laughs> and hear the clanking and the noises and, and all the vibrations and the shaking as they kind of start to adjust the home. And, um, and all I kept thinking about is how disruptive this was. And, and actually, they've, they've finished, and, and they leave the tunnels underneath your house. This is an educational thing for me. Um, and they seal the outside of it. But they left the tunnels underneath so that if something else goes wrong, they can just open it back up and readjust one of those 32 piers. And uh, in the process, we discovered a few things. One is um, our dog does not use the restroom unless uh, if, if he's on a leash. And that was inconvenient because <laughs> so, uh, we didn't want our dogs to fall down holes in our backyard. And uh, the other thing we learned is that after they sealed it back up, now we have cold spots on our floor. And so as you walk around our house, it'll be comfortable, comfortable, cold. And, and so my wife and kids now stomp around the house until they hear the hollow parts of the floor and hop on it. And um, that's our house. And all, all this demonstrates is 
Some of the most valuable assets, some of the most valuable things you might have in your life (laughs) wither and fade very quickly. Like houses, they break, they break down, they fall apart. And so many things that we attach value to do. And yet this, this text points us to something greater, this love that outlasts all physical possessions, all material things. Because houses and foundations will fail, but love, especially the love of Christ, is forever. It doesn't fail. And so moving up the text a little bit, the next one says, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. So love is unquenchable, and, and the flood waters can't drown love. It's, it's, it's not able to be suppressed in this way. And what it reminded me of is the story of Noah's ark and the flood. And, and again, in a way, the, the foundation of the earth had failed. It was falling apart, and it needed to be corrected. And yet God and love Uh, redeemed eight people who were faithful and provided salvation for them and established something new. Uh, First, in the book of Peter, uh, it talks a little bit about this as well in 1 Peter. I just want to read this because what Peter does, I think, is great, especially since we just had a baptism here in this service. He says, uh, God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What God does, or or sort of does, is he uses uh, waters not to quench love, but to deliver us in love. And this is how people interpret this. They they see it uh, speaking to our baptisms and through that salvation and their redemption. And this makes sense to me. I didn't say this in the, the baptism because parents get weirded out by it, but um, I think I have said it before, and I shouldn't have. Uh, that's just what I do sometimes. But um, one of the earliest rites of baptism was actually an exorcism rite. <laughs> and so you would say to the child as you're about to baptize it, depart unclean spirit and make room for the Holy Spirit. And that's part of the, the baptismal liturgy. And, and, and there's a sense that that love comes to us through these, these things the, and, and encourages us in our faith. The next uh, verse up says that flashes of fire, um, that, that the love are, is like flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. And so love is like this fire. And where you see God uses love is not only through like sort of the deliverance through water, like in baptism and and but you see it in like the flames of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 when they came and, and, and landed on the heads of all the men and they were able to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that love sort of poured out through the flame of the Holy Spirit. And so you, you kind of start to, as you work through these lines of text, you can start to see how different authors of Scripture might pull some of those fire themes and water themes through and why a, a biblical commentary or, or someone who's studying it might say, man, this is really talking about all these different ways God speaks to us in love to draw us to Him. And, and the strongest 
most clear reference to Jesus is the next verse where it says, for love is strong as death, jealousy is as fierce as the grave. Love is as strong as death. You know, the reality is, you know, I, I really think, I mean, Christians, we have hope, we have joy, but we're also real, like we're realistic. Like we, we acknowledge the brokenness in the world. We see the brokenness in our own lives. And we know death is real. I mean, it stares us in the face. And the older you get, the more you realize it. Because you start to see it more and more. And, and Romans 8.36 even says, For your sake we are being killed all the day long, as we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. <laughs> it's a very uplifting word from Paul. <laughs> but even as we have faith in Christ, it, it's not that we're free from the threat of death. And it's not as if we're free from experiencing death. It's just there's a greater promise. And that is in love, we will have resurrection. And so we do. We, we experience loss. We lose people we love. We suffer. People all over the world sometimes even die for the faith that they have. And this is part of the love that we experience in Christ, that it creates this conviction that even in the face of death, we have hope and life. Um, and confirmation the service right before we actually confirmed our students um, that went through the confirmation process here. And there's this, uh, in the, the liturgy, the words that we speak to do confirmation, there's this one vow that we ask the confirmants to say, I do with the help of the Lord too. And, and the words of this vow is, do you intend to remain strong in your faith and committed to Christ's church and to suffer anything, even death, rather than fall away from it? And I think, every time I read this, I'm like, wow, this is, and I remember doing this when I got confirmed. I remember that's the line that struck me the most. Am I willing to die for this? <laughs> Do I understand fully the Christ's love, the love that Christ has for me, to know that it's worth death? And that's what this book is really about. It's really about not just a man and a woman, but it's about Christ's love for his church the beautiful bride that is the church, and that he is willing to die for it. And because we follow him, we're willing to die too. Because as we follow Jesus, not only do we experience loss and death and all these things, but we also experience new life and resurrection and hope. Murphy is a, one of the commentators uh, on this book, a commentary that he read. I love what he said. He says, love will not give up, but will pursue the loved one just as persistently as the great and fearful power of death. That is, the love of Christ will pursue you just as aggressively as the reality of death in this world will. It's everything. So no matter what good thing or bad thing happens, love is ever present in and through Jesus Christ. And, and as Paul says, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. That is love. If you go back and read Song of Solomon, you can read it two times. Once to your spouse, 
and wants as a love letter to you from Jesus, who's willing to give everything for you. And so we, may we rest in the love that he has for his church and know that that love even defeats death. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.